1: Hi, welcome to Fever Dreams. Uh, my name's Will Summer. I'm a political reporter at The Daily Beast and the author of an upcoming book on QAnon for HarperCollins. And I'm Aswin Tsubtang, but please call me Swin.
0: I'm a senior political reporter at The Daily Beast and co-author of the book Sinking in the Swamp.
1: All right, here on Fever Dreams, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious and sometimes scary world of the American right as they continue to influence our politics.
0: Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, these grifters, and these influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point.
1: Swin, I have something to tell you. When I was 10, I stabbed someone over and over again, killing him. Now, when I made that confession to you, did you think I sounded cool? Yes. (laughs) That you managed to do that when you were 10. You hadn't even hit puberty yet. (laughs) That's a hell of an accomplishment. This is not actually my confession. I'm quoting here from the Corey Lewandowski police report where he allegedly groped a GOP donor, drunkenly tried to seduce her, really harassed this woman. But I gotta say, this police report is some truly remarkable stuff. Have you had a chance to look at this? I've perused it,
0: or at least I've scanned it. One of the two. The funniest thing to me is, yes, there is a conceivable universe in which all of these things that he allegedly bragged about to this alleged victim of Trump advisor, Corey Lewandowski's. It is conceivable that he was confessing to things that actually happened. So let's not discount that scenario entirely. But let's also not discount the high possibility or probability, if I were to uh, assess it, given my knowledge of how Corey operates, that he was boasting in a way that he thought in his head was making it sound cool to a woman he was trying to get with, whether or not what he was saying was true. And according to this police report, one of the things that he was allegedly bragging about was that when, before he was even a teenager,
1: he killed someone with a knife before the age of when a boy becomes a man just to set this up for the audience i mean with the backstory here is that first of all it's sort of like move over whitey bulger there's a new madman out of new england so we've got Corey lewandowski is was allegedly hitting on drunkenly harassing even potentially you could say you know you're certainly groping allegedly this gop donor at an event with chris with south dakota governor christy noem and so this police report comes out and it just has this maybe the worst party guest you can ever imagine i mean so he comes over and he's trying to seduce this woman, according to her account. And he, like I said, he says, when I was 10, I stabbed someone over and over, killing him. I'm reading here, he continued and shared that when he was older, he stabbed a man in the back of the head, also killing him. So that's body count is now up to two, right?
0: I should know this about Corey Lewandowski uh, because of how much I've reported on him and his activities over the past half decade or so. But I actually am not familiar with the part of his biography that denotes what kind of neighborhood he grew up in what his family
1: was like, like the portrait he's allegedly painting here. I believe the, I, I believe it was the town from City of God, the movie. <laughs> People are dropping left and right. Is he trying to impress a
0: woman here by pretending? like he was recruited into the nation of Islam in the 1960s at like a very young age like what the fuck is he talking about here
1: it's really a bizarre scene I mean so you know if if I could read here this sort of gives you I think also an interesting glimpse into what goes on at some of these high donor fundraisers okay almost immediately there were amicable jokes between Bubba Salisbury just incredible name here and GOP operative Chris DeWitt where they referred to one another as cheese dick now these are not the villains of this story everyone okay (laughs) reading again Lewin Dow Entered the conversation with a comment that quote his dick is four inches bigger than a normal dick. Unquote. From there, Lewandowski proceeded to come on to me aggressively by first stating that he works out twice a day, that he runs 400 miles a week, and that's why he can last for eight hours at a time in bed. Now, you might say, Corey Lewandowski, is this the Trump campaign manager who had like a crazy mental breakdown in Florida? The cops were called to. No, is this the Trump associate who runs like the social network funded by a fugitive Chinese billionaire? No, this is another dude. (laughs) These guys have so many (laughs) stories around them. You can't keep them straight. Okay, well, tell our audience how. Elvis Presley somehow (laughs) is woven into this whole tapestry of, like, debauched Trumpism. So after all this talk about the workouts, the who's got the cheese dick or whatever, she recounts to the police, he went so far as requesting the suite number I was staying in and indicated he was staying in the Elvis suite, which I now know is untrue. Now, like, I guess the implication there is that Corey was bragging that he was in the Elvis suite, but this was a lie? Like, another attempt to impress along with the alleged murders. How is that an even good seduction line if you give the wrong hotel room number that you're in
0: the the woman wouldn't
1: be able to get to you i don't understand it man i mean this is a i feel like along with the alleged uh potential crimes here this is truly I think an insight into what goes on
0: i'm still not able to get over how again allegedly i feel like we have to say allegedly like a million times during this segment that cory lewandowski in the pursuit of trying to fuck a woman a married woman in this case would think that saying i was a cold-blooded and also big dick killer, literal killer, like I'm starring in my own personal lifetime movie, by the age of 10. I'm trying to figure out the demographic in which that would impress a lady. And if that pickup line has worked for him before enough that he keeps using it and recycling it.
1: He's a mystifying
0: character. The way he often has operated over the past five years or so, he was a near constant presence at places like Trump Hotel in Washington, D.C., which is just a few blocks away from the White House where Trump used to reside. He did everything he could as a shadow lobbyist and as an influence peddler in Donald Trump's Washington to cash in As much of this as he could. And this, a lot of this involved a good amount of time carousing in the lobby next to the bar at Trump's DC Hotel. And there would be things where like Corey would just be passed out on one of those uncomfortable looking sofa chairs, just like passed out in the middle of the lobby as fellow Trump associates were like carousing or drinking around him. And he was just like taking a break during whatever the hell he was doing there. I don't know, it'd be like around 9:30 p.m. there, and just Pass the fuck out sleeping in the middle of this
1: crowded hotel lobby. That was a truly interesting time in Washington, a true golden era. People just taking disco naps in the middle of the president's hotel.
0: <laughs> OK, well, speaking of interesting times, something that you and I have been tracking for months now is recurring trends in the conservative grassroots and the Republican mainstream that involves things like top Republican after top Republican getting lustily booed or shouted down in public for saying things as tepid as, Republican voters maybe don't try to kill yourselves here. Explain for our audience the most recent instance of this, at least most recent high-profile instance. This one involves Republican senator and top Trump ally, Lindsey Graham. Explain.
1: Yeah, so Lindsey Graham, he landed in hot water for the great crime of saying, like, maybe Google vaccine, then we're like, oh, boo, boo. <laughs> this clip was floating around Telegram where I found it. Over the weekend, there was like a local GOP county level fundraiser or event in South Carolina, the kind of thing senators hit up all the time. And Lindsey Graham gets up there and effectively says, like, he says, you know, I got the vaccine. Maybe y'all want to think about getting it. And then everyone's like, boo, get your boo. He stinks. No, we won't do it. And he says, Well, you know, I can't help but notice that like everyone in the hospital is unvaccinated, or the vast majority of people. And then there's just a boo, boo. I mean people were really mad. I mean basically he said, you know, I'm against the vaccine mandates, but but maybe we all should stop dying. And people were not happy.
2: If you hadn't had the vaccine, you ought to think about getting it, because if you're my age no! I didn't tell you to get it, you ought to think about it. No! Well, I'm glad I got it. Ninety two percent of the people in the hospitals in South Carolina are unvaccinated.
1: Johnny,
2: no! No! So well, I'm with you, I'm with you on, well, let's don't mandate it, I'm with you that it's probably unconstitutional, but I am not going to legitimize what I think is the truth. The truth is that unabashedly... That- I'm gonna lose my job in sixty
1: days. There's this point where a guy goes, I'm gonna lose my job in sixty days. And he's he's a civilian employee of the Navy. And Lindsey Graham says, like he's basically like, Wow, that stinks, dude. Good luck. And the guy's like, Lindsey Graham, you gotta do something. And he's like, Well, you know, we don't really control uh, the I Senate. Know, or the House. why isn't Lindsey Graham doing something about this? <laughs> like, dude, dude nothing he gets done in Congress. You think something's gonna get done for you? So Lindsey Graham's just like, Well, you know, that's why you gotta keep voting for Republicans. And he's like, Boo boo, and Lindsey Graham's just like, I don't know what to tell you, dude. The important thing about this is
0: that it's obviously not happening in a vacuum. It's not just Lindsey Graham, as our listeners were probably aware. Donald Trump himself, big dick fucking king of the GOP right now, at an Alabama rally in August, he tried to, like, maybe for half a sentence or maybe about one sentence, tell his fans at that rally, oh yeah, you should get go get vaccinated. It's great. And then he backed off it immediately because he started getting booed cacophonously, or at least it started building to that in the audience where these are the people who maybe more than anybody on the face of the planet. A Republican Alabama Trump rally. They were still willing to shout down the God King in their presence for saying something as pussyfooting as, I believe in your freedoms, but I recommend the vaccine. It's great. That's it. And even for someone like Donald Trump, especially for someone like Lindsey Graham, there isn't that sheen of protection that they would get on nearly any other Republican apostasy that they would come up with. This is maybe beyond saying the 2020 election was not rigged. This is maybe the one major thing out there that the diehard Republicans' boys would be willing to push some of their heroes off the plank, for even starting to utter. This happened with, as we documented on a previous episode, when John Nolte at Breitbart.com started saying, with this weird, stupid reverse jujitsu, trying to argue that, oh, liberals want you to die from not getting the COVID-19 vaccines. If you looked at The people who actually read and consume and inject into their eyeballs every day, Breitbart.com, they started melting down against him and accusing him of, of being a part of the deep state or something like that. Weeks, if not months before that, Sean Hannity, big Fox News star, said something very casually okay about taking COVID seriously, was not even a full throated endorsement of you need to get vaccinated. And he spent Days trying to clean that up so too much of his radio and TV audience wouldn't revolt against him. It's fascinating. Perverse,
1: but fascinating. I think what's interesting here is that it's sort of like people say, why doesn't Trump go on a big get vaccinated campaign? Not that people are crying out for Lindsey Graham to, to get do a bunch of commercials, but why don't Republicans more forcefully say get vaccinated? And the answer is not that this is not cowardly of them, but like it's basically what you're seeing with Lindsey Graham here and, and Donald Trump and John Nolte before him is that Lindsey Graham does it in the mildest way. He says, I don't think members of the military and healthcare workers should be mandated to get the vaccine because I don't know why you'd want people you'd want fewer nurses. And it's like, well, like, I don't know why we don't let nurses drink on the job. We should just let them do it they want because we need more nurses. But like this whole idea that he has like the mildest pro-vaccine thing and And everyone's just yelling at him. And then at one point he says like, well, y'all got the measles vaccine, right? And they're like, it's not the same. (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) There's this hot new thing in the anti-vaccine world where they call it like graphene oxide. And it's this, they claim it's the vaccine. It's not the vaccines. It's this kind of like metallic substance that like reacts to magnets. And the reason I bring this up is because obviously venom came out last weekend. And it's essentially like the Venom substance and it sort of like reacts to magnets and stuff and this is their new claim that that's in the vaccines. Well then why would that be a bad thing? Yeah it's like Venom's a cool dude. He's quippy. Like have you not seen the Tom Hardy
0: Venom movies? Like wouldn't you want his powers? Go get the fucking vaccine What are you, What? what's stopping you? One of the most salient points here is that the pro-vaccine shit that these major league Republicans are trotting out and then immediately getting booed and shouted down for by their very own voting base is like the most wishy-washy light-hearted version of an encouragement you could possibly muster lindsey graham in that clip we were playing earlier he tells these republican activists look i'm not telling you to get the vaccine i'm just saying it's great that's it even at his most forceful for these people and you can argue that any level of force or encouragement from lindsey graham is not going to get him to get COVID vaccinated anyway but even at that point he cannot bring himself to say that this is technically a recommendation it's not a recommendation if you're admitting you're not saying you should get it He's basically saying this is something that is available to you, and then I'm going to attempt to stop talking there so you won't yell at me too much. It underscores how much of a lie it is when these Republican governors and candidates and GOP leaders keep saying, how dare the fake news liberal media keep telling us we're anti-vaccine? We're not. Look how many times we say these vaccines are great. Okay, well, while you're doing that, the entirety of the mainstream conservative propaganda mill, not just on Fox News, but on conservative talk radio and everywhere else, is talking about, among other things, how these vaccines could potentially kill you, which obviously, they're just not not gonna. And they're fundraising off this, right? Absolutely, and we're not talking about the fringes here. We're talking about the Republican National Committee the mainstream of the mainstream of the national, not just state or local, but the national GOP, they're making a killing off of fundraising, off of anti-vaccine mandate hysteria. And Donald Trump and his vast political and fundraising apparatus have been lustily fundraising off of this multiple times, been sending out appeals about vaccine freedom and why Joe Biden's vaccine mandates are like the second coming of Stalinism or whatever bullshit they want to talk about. And they are selling the dumbest, Looking vaccine freedom T-shirts you could possibly imagine to try to goose every ounce of donor dollars from the Republican grassroots while just putting their very lives at
1: risks, all in the name of, among other things, a stupid fucking T-shirt. I think it demonstrates just poor Lindsey Graham getting shouted down there. I think it demonstrates the kind of the double game they're playing there. All right, so Swin, I got to tell you, Alex Jones of Infowars—you may have heard of him. He's in a tough spot. What's going on with friend of the show, Alex Jones? So people may remember back in 2012, Alex Jones memorably said the Sandy Hook school shooting was a false flag and that it was either fake or that that somehow it had not happened or not happened the way we were told. So he's facing lawsuits in both Connecticut and Texas from Sandy Hook relatives. But last week, it was all kind of shaping up to be this, to be a bunch of kind of trial showdowns. I mean, Alex Jones was going to have to go on the stand maybe. And we were going to kind of get an insight into what's going on at InfoWars, how much much money are they making off of this kind of stuff, this kind of vile material? And then as it turned out, no, he just lost already. In Texas, a judge ruled that Alex Jones is just going to default in three of the cases because him and his lawyers or his, his legal team have been behaving so poorly in the lead up to the trial.
0: Okay, so obviously Alex Jones is someone who from time to time likes to be, shall we say, verbose or verbally conspiratorial about legal claims that have been made against him in recent years.
1: I'm sure some of his lawyers would prefer it if he didn't do such things. Oh, they don't really care, man. I mean, the lawyers are not, this is not the dream team. I think that's one something I want to stress here. I mean, a lot of the Infowars lawyers, this is not like the the brain pills are not going to like real high class retainers. A lot of these guys have some kind of issues of their own in their past, and they they kind of bumble through these cases in Texas and Connecticut. Give me an example of the quintessential, the more key Infowars lawyer. There's a guy named Robert Barnes who who is is kind of a colorful character. He goes on key thing if you're Alex Jones's lawyers, you shouldn't just go on Infowars and you then you sit there while he's he's kind of ranting about his how this is a show trial and and all the clients. I believe Robert Barnes. There's a guy in Connecticut named Norm Pattis who basically at minimum these guys could not rein Alex Jones in. There's a guy named Mark Randazzo who HuffPost has written very well about his issues with with previous clients and various run-ins with various state bars. It's certainly a colorful situation all his own. All these guys, I mean, basically what's, what was happening in both these Texas and Connecticut cases is, for example, the these Texas cases, back in 2019, the judge was like, all right, y'all got to start doing discovery, which is when they hand back and forth the documents. This is when you would get the emails, for example, that might say, discuss Alex Jones or members of his staff talking about the Sandy Hook stories. Or you might get the, let's say, revenue figures that, that might suggest how much money was being made off of it. And this was back in 2019, the judge was like, okay, y'all got to start doing discovery. Well, cut to now, and there's still discovery issues in these cases. And so the judge just said, you forfeit, essentially. You lose automatically. And that is like a super rare thing to happen. And so this sort of gives you a sense of how Alex Jones and his legal team are playing this, which is sort of constantly delaying, constantly kind of uh, obfuscating what's going on in the case and kind of dragging it out. I mean, in the Connecticut cases, there was this constant like switching of lawyers. And there would be stuff where it would be like, yeah, I don't know, that lawyer might have said that, but I'm a different lawyer now. And it's like, you guys need to talk to each other. So basically, it's kind of climaxing this thing where he's lost. Okay, so I gotta be honest, and you tell me, as someone who has followed this
0: incredibly closely for however many years, was it naive of me to think that however this turned out, Alex Jones may have had to end up coughing up some degree of money, but due to the fact that First Amendment protections are so goddamn strong as they should be in the United States. I wasn't sure I was expecting, like, just a colossally sized missile of this magnitude to potentially land. On Alex Jones, figuratively speaking. Were you expecting something of this degree?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I sort of was. There has been, in both the Connecticut and Texas cases, there's been, I mean, some pretty like egregious conduct. In one of the cases during Discovery, they handed over child porn, which is what we call not ideal. Basically, it was on their servers. I mean, it it wasn't per se theirs. Some troll had sent it to Alex Jones. And they, it was sort of a sign of how sloppily they had done this exchange that they were just like, yeah, here you go, kind of like, and it turned out to have this material. They've really been kind of like, testing, I think, the judge's patience. And now I think in the Connecticut case, which is still ongoing, things are getting a little dicey because now they're like, wait, is Alex Jones just like go like just like, yeah, I don't care. I am going to lose these cases. And I would rather lose them without these details about my business coming out, which seems to maybe be the case. Like people just generally don't do this, like just doing anything you can to avoid having to hand over documents to the point that you lose. And so now they're afraid that Alex Jones is going to start, you know, he's already attacked the lawyers in the case that he's going to start just maybe releasing confidential material the plaintiffs have handed over, stuff like that. So it's getting pretty hairy out there. But I mean, he is going to have to cough up a good chunk of change because he's lost, right? And so the judge is now going to determine how much he has to pay. But on the other hand, he does get to avoid having a lot of his documents make it into the public record via trial. I mean, out in Connecticut, I've sort of been following those cases a little more closely. It's interesting. I mean, the instructions for what to do if you work in Alex Jones's household were entered into the court record. I mean, he was really getting, like, when he did participate in discovery, a lot of stuff was coming out. Right. And Alex Jones is someone who, even
0: through all of this, while all of this is going on, he still has a massive audience to his name. Uh, like, Infowars still ranks in the millions upon millions in terms of
1: weekly users and visitors is that correct i mean we really don't have a, have a real way to tell anymore because he's been kicked off of every basically platform that matters i mean his numbers on such aug- august video platforms as rumble and bitch shoot wait, wait bitch shoot yeah it's funny i mean bitch shoot is kind of like an off-brand youtube that's popular with people on the right for a while they were like people were saying i don't want to go to a website called bitchute <laughs> they renamed it something and i can't remember what it was but it, it had kind of a similar issue where, where it was similarly like it's not the best words to say so yeah bit shoot is kind of one of his big readouts what is the etymology of the name of that venue like probably like bit torn or bitcoin, like bit and then shoot like c-h-u-t-e This is the shoot where you get your bits. So we're the (laughs) idiots
0: for thinking that this is vulgar in any way. Okay, so on that note, it's time to move on for our interview segment of the week. I regret to inform you that we are going to host
1: some of your competition. I hope that's okay with you. Oh, you know, I actually do have like a significant number of beefs out there. So I, I hope it's someone I'm on relatively good terms with. Are you beefing with Jake, Travis, or Julian, by any chance? Of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. No, I think those guys are great. And I'm excited to have them on the pod to talk QAnon.
0: Fever Dreams, like all Daily Beast journalism, exists because of the generous support of Beast Inside members, the people who pay to access Daily Beast reporting, and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet.
1: Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, plus access to members-only podcast episodes, events, and much more. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com today to see what you've been missing.
2: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, well, we're joined today by the great hosts of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, julian field hey it's me how's it going travis view hey will and jake rokatansky hello everyone to give us sort of the lay of the land in the current state of QAnon world and more broadly guys thanks for joining us Yeah, it's a pleasure. Hey, pleasure to be here. All right, so, you know, you're joining us a day after Facebook servers were down for, like, eight hours. But in QAnon land, there was this this belief going around, it was kind of hotly debated, over whether this was really a symbol that the military was finally taking over Facebook once and for all. Were you all seeing that out there as well? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. There are lots of posts on Telegram and even on Twitter where people are claiming that this was part of a military operation to seize the Facebook servers. They always think that there's some deep mystery somewhere in some server somewhere. There are also lots of uh, belief that there's a belief that this was the start of the long awaited 10 days of darkness. This is a prophecy the 10 days of they never quite specify what's supposed to be 10 days of maybe a power outage maybe an internet outage but of course the 10 days of darkness in this particular instance lasted approximately five hours
1: Yeah, I feel like this kind of gave us a bit of the old razzle dazzle. It used to be back in the day, anything would happen, especially tech related, like Xbox would be down and they would say they're taking down the cabal's communications on Xbox Live. That's right. Or like the lights would go down at E3 and they would be like, the white hats are are arresting the heads of Nintendo, stuff like that. And now I feel like we don't get that kind of reaction a lot anymore.
2: No, no. The old school baking isn't done much anymore. I mean, it was still done at the beginning of like this month for, of course, the annual Red October. Every year. the, The White House is lit up pink for, I believe, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And every single year, the QAnon community says, actually, they're lighting it up red for Red October, which is another sort of made up QAnon holiday, which means that the long promised storm of
3: mass arrest is imminent. Don't believe your eyes. You think you're seeing pink, but actually, <laughs> actually, they've used the eyedropper uh, from the hunt for the Red October film poster. Uh, so that is Red October Red. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's the classic, uh, you know, kind of ominous Q voice from QAnon and Autonomous. Now, so that kind of intros us, I think, to kind of the current state of Q. I mean, what are you guys seeing out there? I mean, what is the state of Q in October 2021?
2: Well, one thing that we've noticed, I guess, more broadly this year, I guess, in the post-January 6th world for QAnon and a world in which every social media company finally stopped tolerating their presence on their platform is that they actually have pivoted to focusing on local action. And uh, in fact, uh, General Flynn, who, of course, is very much integrated into the QAnon community, has promoting it for many years as a common phrase called local action has a national impact. And he's been encouraging people to get involved in their local commissioner's offices, local school boards and local precincts. We can also see this in uh, was there's a old uh, Tea Party activist named Dan Schultz, who has a strategy called the precinct strategy, which is basically just means uh, he's encouraging conservatives to get involved in their local GOP precincts. Well, he's been involved in several QAnon livestream shows and podcasts, also encouraging local QAnon followers to get involved in their local elections, which is a, strangely a very un-QAnon kind of message, because usually QAnon followers, they like planning for some sort of big reveal, mass arrest event. But now it seems they a lot of them have pivoted to focusing on more pragmatic, bottom-up politics. How do they square the need for that with
0: the desire and the foretelling of essentially what is a military dictatorship, saving the day for you and executing the deep state. How does that square with needing to have local action when it comes to a school board that's teaching too much critical race theory?
3: Well, it, it doesn't, but yeah. that's okay. <laughs> well, it doesn't, yeah. Okay, fine, fine. <laughs> you know, yeah,
2: there's a phrase when you study cults called forcing the end, which basically means that you know, it asks, you know, what exactly happens when you have a uh, cult-like group and there's a prophecy and they start to realize that perhaps things aren't going to unfold like they thought it would. Well, sometimes this this causes them to take action in order to make the things that they want to happen actually happen in real life. And I think that's a little bit of what we're seeing now. I mean, they're still very much riled up, the QAnon community. They're still very conspiratorial, but they're using that energy now to actually do things like show up at their local school boards and accuse these school board members of being sex traffickers instead of like sitting at their computers and baking. I mean, they're still doing that, but they're doing both now
3: right i mean this has been seeding for a little while i remember a couple months ago Travis and I went to a Save the Children rally on Hollywood Boulevard and Sarah Stevens who was a QAnon promoting candidate to for governor to replace Gavin Newsom uh, should the recall have succeeded and she was walking around the crowd with like a giant flag handing out cards and saying hey I want you to get involved you know we're doing grassroots politics you know we want you to get involved on the local level committees school boards that sort of thing it was a big chain from other rallies and sort of QAnon events that we had been to where you actually have somebody who is has their eyes on political office encouraging supporters to do the same. And I, I was saying to Travis actually right earlier in an episode we recorded that QAnon got everybody really riled up. And it I think it sparked this anger that had been in them for a while, but it really gave them something to focus on. And when the storm didn't happen and the events that Q predicted, the arrests, the Great Awakening, uh, didn't happen, they were still left with all of this anger and motivation. And when somebody suggested, somebody had probably suggested in the past that they should run for office. And if you, you know, if you want to change your community, you know, you have to do it on this on the smaller scale. But now they have the added, like Travis was saying sort of energy left over from the I, I guess the blue balls of the storm not taking place that seems to be fueling them to actually go out and do this to take it offline and into the third dimension. Right.
0: Like imagine what would have happened in the 1960s in Indonesia if the if a Suharto type figure never actually emerged. All of those genocide heirs would instead just be yelling at their local school boards or their mayor's office instead.
1: I think it's interesting because on one hand they certainly are really we can laugh and say they're lowering their expectations. I mean, before this was, oh, we're going to all be lieutenants in the Space Force. We're going to have this quantum financial system that eliminates all debt. But at the same time, I mean, what they're doing now is perhaps much more politically effective, which is taking over school boards and stuff like that. I think there's another interesting thing going on with the current state of QAnon, which has been covered, I think, very effectively on the QAnon Anonymous podcast, which is the, the reigning theory of the case, which is a little something called devolution. And you know, I was wondering if y'all could explain what exactly that means and why people are jumping on board with it.
4: Yeah, devolution is fascinating because it is a real term, and it, for example, could describe the UK government's relationship to countries like Scotland or Ireland uh, at various points, and basically the idea is just that uh, power is slowly shifted to the kind of regional, essentially would be like the states, and may- maybe even on a smaller scale in the United States, and that power is lent to them by the government, which still controls it. So it has that built in, and nonetheless, they've kind of adapted it and gone with this devolution theory by this guy called Patel It's
1: a Patel Patriot. Patriot. I'm, I'm reluctant to know. Yes.
4: So he's kind of, you know, a newcomer, but a lot of people have had to bend to his stuff. And he, he started writing on, I believe, Substack. And he wrote, I think he's over 12 and counting, these very long investigative articles. And so his theory is that essentially the the government is actually in a state of devolution, which means that the power is being decentralized to like regional power structures that are in cahoots with Trump, sometimes generals, but I, there's not really that much characterization of what he means there. And the idea is that Joe Biden himself doesn't know that the country's in a state of devolution because there's a fight between the DIA, which is the good uh, intelligence, and the CIA and the FBI, who are the bad intelligence in this theory. And so they, they're they not telling Joe Biden or the CIA or the FBI, but they're just putting it into place.
0: Why do QAnon kooks like the DIA? So much, Michael Flynn baby fight like a Flynn is that basically it I get why they hate the FBI and CIA so much or at least their fevered imagined version of it but okay so Michael Flynn is the reason why DIA is good and will continue to be okay in their column.
4: It's not clear. I'm sure someone could have come along and made a good argument against it or whatever. But uh, yeah, I think it's a bit of of that like Flynn magic. And also, you got to pick somebody. You can't just have all black hat agencies, yeah. uh,
1: as is the reality of the situation. You need a good guy on the inside, or the story doesn't really work. Well, I think it's also like you need some spies, right? But these are military spies, and so in, in the whole QAnon land, like the military are the good guys essentially, and so you can't have these like civilians at the CIA or the FBI. I mean. I mean, they're obviously the bad guys, right? The the pussies, yeah. And Julia, I mean, so you're talking about devolution. I mean, I think what's interesting here, obviously, this is all nonsense. But I think what's interesting is when people say, "Well, how can QAnon people still believe this?" Obviously, the storm didn't happen. Donald Trump's out of office, but this is kind of like how they square that circle, how they get around that cognitive dissonance of of saying, "Ah, uh, yes, perhaps you are foolish enough to believe." That Joe Biden is still in office, but in fact, the White House is being filmed at Tyler Perry's studios, et cetera.
4: Yeah, we have a kind of intelligentsia forming, like Jordan Sather, for example, who has made himself into the kind of cynical Travis view of the pro-QAnon <laughs> world. So he's been dissing a lot of people about what he calls basically the same shit, you know, misinformation, fake news, whatever. And he was recently engaged in like a weekly show, I believe, with Patel Patriot, who he, he kind of had a moment of sniffing each other's butts and being like, are you my enemy? And then he kind of had to fold because the theories are just so good. So there's been a lot of critique from them of people who are like, oh, this is a hologram, that's a set, all this stuff. So they mock people. They're forming a kind of intelligentsia, mocking people, but coming up with what resembles more closely these proto-QAnon or pre-QAnon influencers like Thomas Wichter and Brian Cates.
3: Right. And I mean, you also have to keep in mind that QAnon started, there wasn't a ton of the sort of religious Aspect to it, it was an espionage mystery. It was very much focused on Spygate. It was these warring internal agencies, and it and it is interesting to see QAnon, in spite of the sort of failed predictions, kind of going back to its roots in terms of. It seems like we're seeing two sort of splintering sides. There's the side that's going deeper into the religious aspect and this sort of impending holy war, and then there's the other side that's that's kind of reining that in and going back to the basics of no this is intelligence agencies this is internal espionage warfare
1: it's kind of like it play the hits, you know? Julian, you mentioned the idea of Jordan Sather essentially having to acknowledge the power of other theories. I mean, it strikes me that in the the post-Q QAnon landscape, that there's kind of a lot of different competing power poles, as Jake mentioned, this kind of splitting up. You know, I'd be curious to hear what y'all think about this idea that you have kind of a lot of amateur or upstart cues, particularly people like, like Mike Lindell or Michael Flynn or Sidney Powell, who have sort of taken on the Q role of being cryptic and saying, like, the big development is just around the bend.
4: Yeah, I think that We are seeing that, and I think that was always the case because I think people had a sense of QAnon being this very unique thing, like maybe they viewed the Trump presidency the same way, some sort of glitch in the system that that's just going to go away at some point instead of a set of circumstances that gave rise to Q and the QAnon movement and everything around it. So those set of circumstances have not really changed. Obviously, power has shifted at the presidential level, but all of the circumstantial like situational stuff hasn't really changed. So people are going to keep seeking and some things will be bigger than others. But the meme is on and it's this whole scene now, you know?
1: Yeah, you know, I was struck when I was at the uh, QAnon convention in Dallas before I was unceremonious booted where they were Sidney Powell was on stage and people it wasn't like oh we love Sidney Powell because what she does for Trump I mean there there was that as well but there was a lot of like what will she reveal like and just shouting specific questions it was like guys this is several months after January 6th if she had something she would have used it but there was this kind of just like the breadcrumbs just like you might see with Q
4: yeah yeah and I think that desire is not going to go away until we fix some things are obviously purely political or, or on one side or whatever, like the GOP obviously holds a lot of power in this case, and they've been fueling and living in symbiosis with QAnon for a long while. But it's a broader issue around, I think, in my opinion, around secrecy, around narratives that were being given through the media that aren't trustworthy. And a lot of those are kind of rational or at least a coping mechanism for something that is real. But I don't see it going away. It's just always going to be a fight over labels. But the same weird situation where everyone's like, Trump's going to run, right? Except if he doesn't, like, who would it be? And would Trump support them? There's all these MAGA troops at the ready and all these QAnon people at the ready for whatever comes up. But I think even they are dealing with a period of uncertainty and obviously disappointment.
0: Something I want to ask you three is about, I don't know if you saw the news earlier today. Today is Tuesday, October 5th. And it was just reported that the FBI had raided the NY. PD sergeant's union office in downtown Manhattan. And as Will Sommer pointed out earlier today, fun detail, this is the same police union whose president appeared on TV with a QAnon mug. In your years of tracking this, have you found that police unions or local police departments have had a sustained QAnon problem? And if so, why do you think that is?
2: Yes, as a matter of fact. In fact, we have an entire episode that just covers QAnon cops because it kept coming up over and over and over again where we saw police officers engaging with QAnon iconography or posting posting stuff about QAnon. I got to say, I think it's uh, baffling as well. Maybe it comes into their uh, sort of faith in authority. They really want to have a kind of military crackdown in which, uh, you know, the only law is force itself. But yeah, this is something that we've seen repeatedly across the country in several uh, police districts.
3: In the past couple of years, there's been a lot of blending between QAnon narratives and just sort of your general conservative narratives. The GOP is much more willing to sort of adopt or transform stuff that comes from QAnon or comes from conspiracy and use it politically. And so I think that law enforcement tends to be more conservative Anyways, they're getting incepted with Q stuff that aligns with their confirmation bias already, and then when they find out, oh well, there's a guy and it's assigned to him, and he's been posting and stuff. It's it's just the average next step. Be like, oh well, I can put a instead of just a blank mug, like now I can put the you know the hero on the mug or put it on my back shelf as a nod to other people that hey, I'm down with this.
0: Is there any particular part of the country or any region where you found the phenomenon of the Trumpy QAnon cop is a broader phenomenon than it may be in other cities? or areas or localities?
2: Well, there's a, obviously there's a lot of QAnon activity just generally in Florida. There was a particularly bizarre incident in which vice president, then vice president Mike Pence, all the way back in 2018, was photographed with a member of the sheriff's department while that uh, sheriff was wearing a Q symbol like on his vest. Oh, that was and awesome. Then, and it's just, that was this so just tweeted out by the vice president's account. It was deleted. And then uh, that photo was removed. But it seems as though uh, you know, a QAnon police officer was part of the vice president's security detail when he arrived in Florida. That police officer wound up being demoted. There's another incident in which I remember there was a QAnon cop in the part of the San Diego police force. There was one up in Washington State. I spotted one. There was one in uh, Irvine, California. So there's lots of like smaller incidents like that, but it's really unknown how pervasive it is because I imagine a lot of police officers are perhaps better at covering their interest in QAnon than some others.
1: I mean, that moment where that cop, yeah, so he's a SWAT guy. And then Mike Pence is just tweeting a picture of a guy with a QAnon badge. I mean, I think that was really a, a moment where we all fell down into QAnon land. I felt like I was in, like in Southland Tales or something. It's just Q, just, I mean, it, it was a crazy moment. He was like the king of the QAnon cops.
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, that didn't go well for him. I remember that that incident was actually tweeted out with reference uh, by Q himself, in which he offered that police officer who was then demoted like a, a job at the NSA or something. <laughs> I don't think that actually <laughs> happened.
1: So guys, obviously the Arizona audit was a big moment for QAnon believers or was planned to be. They were excited. I know julian i think has an interesting theory that this was the audio was not so much about finding something but more about getting Trump Trump people to chill out for a couple months. Obviously, the audit results were pretty disappointing for them. I mean, what was the reaction for QAnon and sort of associated believers? And, you know, where did they go next?
2: Yeah, I mean, they uh, they focused on the supposed anomalies of that cyber ninjas, the firm that conducted the audit, whose CEO, Doug Logan, is a direct contact with uh, Ron Watkins. They kind of ignore the top line findings, which is basically the audit actually found some extra votes for Biden and it subtracted some for Trump. They ignored that. But they instead focused on the supposed anomalies like duplicates or uh, people with the same name and birthday, which they which they think is people voting twice uh, erroneously. And so they wound up deciding that actually the audit did uncover a whole lot of fraud because they kind of like ignored again the sort of the basic abstract of the audit and use it to create their own narrative. So, yeah, this is like this is it really is like a cloud. They just look at the audit results long enough and they decide to see what they want to see. And they see that actually Biden was a fraud. And they need to conduct a similar audit in every other state. Trump's going to be rushing to office at any moment now.
4: Let's remember, this is exactly how libs were processing the Mueller report. They were like, "Oh, there's nothing," but no, it actually means this or that. We are just in cycles of pretend play. We just make stuff up. We have a bunch of investigations. People get really into it. There's a, a, you know, sometimes years of news cycles around it, and then it's just a big nothing, a big puff of air. And I think it broadly keeps us all distracted, ongoing, because we all we are feeling less and less like the system responds to any kind of input.
3: Right. And if you're a person who who is unable to disregard the fact that that the audit came away with more votes for Biden. The rules of sort of conspiratorial thinking and QAnon in general is that, oh, well, they had to come out with that result. So to keep the enemy distracted or what the real finding, it's been like that forever, all the way back to the memo, the Devin Nunes memo that QAnon supporters were sure was going to blow the lid off Spygate. Release the memo. Right. Release the memo. A guy fucking drove his truck onto the bridge with the sign that says release the memo and there was so much weight put into that and then when it was when it really fizzled out you know it was oh well actually what you didn't realize is that hidden in the memo were these three facts Uh, and what that means is storm is upon
4: us. I think it's a good question though to ask ourselves why a good amount of the American population either thinks there's an invisible war between angels and Satan or an invisible war between competing intelligence agencies in the military like we're all just in fantasy land it's just a question of genre
1: that reminds me of louis gomer when he jumped on the idea that the the shootout over the server in germany with the troops versus the oh, cia right. oh my the Skydal showdown i mean it's just like the born identity just like blah, 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 blah
4: it does make sense these are fever dreams essentially
1: <laughs> hey that's the
4: pod baby in and out of the title <laughs>
3: It's like if the Bourne identity, like you watch the first 30 minutes and like the heist at the beginning was set up and oh boy, somebody's going to uncover the mystery and Bourne's going in and then the movie just stops and what and then you leave the theater and you still got half a bucket of popcorn uneaten, obviously, and you're just kind of talking with the people that you went to the movie with. Oh, well, what do you think would have happened if the projector hadn't cut out? Where do you think this would have gone? Definitely would have gone here because of this, this, this. In this, I mean, it is just people trying to make sense of a world that they feel they don't have the answers to. And that's scary. It's, it's a lot scarier than even saying something that, you know, maybe in the back of your mind is false.
4: If you look at news cycles, it's a bit different than movies, I'd argue, because the news cycles are going through sometimes years of hopium and setting people up. And then the conclusion of it is oftentimes they just switch cycles. So it is it is like you said, it's an interrupt. It's interrupt interruptus over and over. And so we are so used to this that I think we can do it with stuff like QAnon. We can do it with stuff like our hope in specific political figures.
1: And yeah, I think that we're all partaking. Well, hey, Julian Field, Travis View, and Jake Rokotansky of QAnon Anonymous. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thanks for having us, guys. Really appreciate, really appreciate it.
0: And now let's bring our audience to our recurring segment, perhaps our favorite of all of our children, Fresh Hell, in which we introduce you to something that is happening in the world that is so batshit you might not think it's actually happening, but nonetheless actually is. So, Will, tell us more about Trump coin, and is this something that the pound sterling or the US dollar or the yen
1: has anything to fear from? There's a lot of good scams out there. There's the Iraqi dinar, which, you know, is, is selling worthless Iraqi currency to people, promising that its value will go up. There's various MAGA technological items that we've discussed that perhaps are, are not quite as uh, a sweet a deal as they promised to be. And now QAnon world has been flooded by a Trump coin and a phenomenon I'm calling CoinAnon. So basically... All the QAnon action right now is taking place on Telegram, which is a social media app where everyone fled after January 6th when QAnon really got banned from pretty much everywhere every social network people might actually use. So now they're all on Telegram. And some mysterious forces are selling Trump coins to QAnon believers. So Swin, you know, we've got a picture here of one of the Trump coins. You scroll down, you can see it. I mean, how much do you think you would pay for this bad boy with sort of a, a Trumpian face on it? It says, keep America great. It's kind of a bust. It sort of looks like maybe something a Caligula- might have stamped a coin with back It in the looks day. exactly like Caligula. Yeah, it's it's not the most flattering. The DVD special edition
0: for that porn epic Caligula, it looks exactly like this Trump coin. It looks exactly the same. So um, I would pay uh, $14.99 for this. I actually would as
1: a novelty. item. Okay, not bad. Okay, so, so it seems like you might be a potential mark for this. So the Trump coin is going for typically about 30 bucks online. You're encouraged to buy 25 of them. So we computes to about seven hundred and fifty bucks, which might seem steep for a couple of coins, particularly when you consider that these coins are available for about a dollar if you buy them in bulk from various Chinese sites. However, the coins, but here's the pitch, right? I mean, here's my why you might want to buy it. So, a Telegram account called Lauren Bobert, not actually Lauren Bobert. They found the one
0: scam or the one batshit theory that Lauren Bobert wasn't actually getting in on.
1: They had to trot out a Lauren Bobert impersonator. I mean, it is funny, like people who might be pushing scams. But but they're innocent in this case. So soon at any moment, a turn of events will trigger the unbelievable. Our entire government will be invalidated. Laugh if you want. There will be a temporary coup d'etat with new elections, a new beginning. Now is the right time to own at least 25 coins, which are the biggest symbol of victory and success of President Trump. And its value is expected to skyrocket over four hundred dollars once he's back in office. Okay, whoever's running this scam garbage doesn't have a knack for the voice of Lauren
0: Bobert at all. Lauren Boebert would never say the words coup d'etat. She would advocate
1: for one, but she would never actually admit that it was a coup. Yeah, you don't call it a coup. Right? I mean, that's generally frowned upon. Right. That's giving away
0: the game. That's not fair.
1: So I will say this is a relatively reasonable pitch for the Trump coin because this is claiming each coin will be worth 400 bucks. So this is like roughly a a 10 times increase in value. But I've seen some that say the Trump coin will be worth $10,000. So people are basically what's happening here is this is flooding telegram through. I mentioned Lauren Boebert. There are all these kind of fake celebrity accounts. The one I just read was reposted by one impersonating friend of the pod, Eric Bowling former Fox News host. You said Kirstie Alley. There's a fake Kirstie Alley account pushing these to the point that Kirstie Alley had to come out and say, I am not behind the Trump coin. I'm not on Telegram posting this. She posted this on Twitter. And I I checked with her reps and I said, hey, is Kirstie selling the Trump coin? And they said, no. Look at the tweet.
0: (laughs) So these scam artists, how dare they do this to the star of the NBC sitcom Veronica's Closet? That's what's really getting to me here. But they're not stopping at that level of celebrity. They are doing this to Mel Gibson. They're doing it to Denzel. They're doing this to Denzel Washington. I'm going to read from this screenshot that you flagged for us of an alleged Denzel Washington trying to sell this thing. And I quote, the last day is here. All caps, of course. The countdown has started. It's all part of the show, a show that will leave everyone speechless. Today is the last day. After this, a lot of things will change. And then it ends with, check the availability and order here, officialtrumpcoins.com. I gotta be honest, that does sort of sound like the Denzel Washington that America has come to know and love. They have his (laughs) voice down to a T. I feel like I'm watching
1: the movie Glory right now. So this is really kind of roiling QAnon world. QAnon promoter Jordan Sather, who previously has urged people to take a substance that basically is the equivalent of bleach, according to the FDA. He is actually on a fight to rid the world of Trump coin because it's sort of a lot of times people, they kind of take the grift a bit too far. And that's when kind of the original QAnon people have to step in. So he claims that he was offered a couple hundred bucks to promote Trump coin by an account with a area code in, I believe, Vietnam, somewhere in Southeast Asia. So it's a little unclear who's behind Trump coin. Also unclear whether anyone's buying them. I saw a couple mentions on Twitter of people saying, oh my gosh, my Trump coins got here. I'm so excited. However, they were not willing to talk with me about their Trump coin collections. So, you know, it's out there. And I think the the lesson of Trump coin is that when you have a situation like QAnon, these people have sort of already self-identified as extremely gullible. And so a lot of people are then going to come in and sort of try to, try to feed at the trough there. Okay. So has this proliferated as much as some,
0: something like the long-running Iraqi dinar pro-Trump scam. Like, is this one of the major league players right now in terms of Trumpian currency or alleged currency? Or does it still have a ways to go before it's one of the, uh, no pun intended,
1: gold standards of the genre? Now, this is like a little tuna next to the great whale shark of the Iraqi dinar. Iraqi dinar was dating back so long, I mean, really since the invasion of Iraq, maybe even before that. So when it goes through all these permutations, right? Obviously the most recent one was regarding the Trump, saying Trump was gonna revalue the dinar. But really the Iraqi dinar and related ones like the Vietnamese Dong and the Zimbabwean Zim, being serious here, those are kind of the big heavyweights. And and then relatedly, I think probably Bitcoin scams. There's some really classic ones going down on Telegram where a guy, like some QAnon ones, where a guy will say, uh I'm collecting all of our bitcoins together. Just send me <laughs> money like on PayPal and I will buy us all bitcoins. And then in five years, I will distribute them. And I mean, it's just like the most bald faced lie. And, and a lot of times it's someone posing as JFK Jr., needless to say. So, like, these are kind of the heavyweights, but Trump coin is certainly having its moment. And I think someday, you know, maybe people will try to cash in their Trump coins and we'll see how it all shakes out. Did Elon Musk
0: try to get in on
1: this at all? No. Yeah. So, this is the other thing. These guys make fake tweets, right? And so we have a fake Trump Elon Musk tweet that says that's circulating on telegram that says 15 million dollar investment in Trump. and then there's a little rocket emoji that he tweeted allegedly (laughs) little rocket trump coin to the moon
0: on that note let's wrap up this episode of fever dreams from the daily beast in future installments, we'll also be speaking to some awesome reporters and other colleagues at the Daily Beast and beyond, from politics, popular culture, and other overfed, underdeveloped institutions.
1: We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcasting app and share the show on social media or at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer, and Swin is at Swin24. Come say hello. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon, with music by Brian Demiglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.